0: Great, right, do keep uh, Psalm 13 open. I'm going to move that down because that's right in my face. There we go, that's better. Super. Um, we're in a series of Psalms, praying the Psalms. Uh, and this week we come to look at a Psalm of Lament. I've titled this sermon, How to Complain Well. I wonder what we think about when it comes to uh, complaining and being a Christian. Can I doubt? Can I express myself like this psalm as a Christian? As Josh read it, I wonder whether you're surprised by some of the language. Or is our response to trials, our response to difficulties, just to trust God a little bit more and get on with it? If David walked into our church and started speaking like this, I wonder what we'd think. Seems pretty over the top. It seems quite dramatic, quite bleak. I've reflected on this a bit as I've been looking at it recently. I've thought about maybe conversations I've had with friends uh, over the years, going through some real trials, conversations with you maybe. How Have I responded? Have I I basically said, friend, you're telling me about this difficult situation, maybe a uh, difficult relationship, maybe mental health struggles, an illness, a hardship, whatever it might be. Have I listened to that and then basically gone, you just need to trust God? Which, what they went here really is it's basically your fault. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. You add in then the book of Job, and a large proportion of the Old Testament is spent in lament. Laments are are prayers. They're they're not just crying out, they're not just crying. They, They definitely involve crying in some senses, but they're prayers. They talk about pain, they talk about suffering, they talk about the brokenness of the world. Maybe you're here today looking in on um, this Christian stuff, coming to church, thinking things through. You recognise that the world isn't how it should be. You saw that in Ewan's prayer. That stuff we were praying for. The world is not how it should be. You switch on the news, you look at your own life. And you say, surely this isn't it. Surely life must be better than this. We live in a broken world, the Bible tells us. We live in a world affected and infected, totally by sin, by people not trusting in God. The world was good, but due to our rebellion, not wanting to live under the rule and reign of the Holy God, it's broken. And the results are all around us. We live amongst brokenness, broken relationships, broken bodies, broken minds, a broken environment. We live amongst brokenness. And I know for many of you in this room, as I I say that... You're probably ticking off these things in your mind, things which you've experienced, maybe things you're currently experiencing, maybe bereavement, family breakdowns, infertility, struggles of mental health, illness, challenges of parenting, whatever it might be, you're ticking these things off in your head. And the question comes, what is a godly response to these things? Are we just to be terribly British, put on a stiff upper lip and say it's all okay? Pastor John Piper counters with this. He says, until Jesus returns, the world will be marked by tears. Children will continue to be born and their first cry will announce their arrival into a broken world. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. So what is lament? Is this type of psalm, it reads like a complaint at times. Is that a sin? You may have heard my title and squirmed a little bit, confused a little bit. Maybe your mind went somewhere like Numbers 11. You may remember the story of the Israelites. And this is what it says. It says, the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Why was that not okay? But David here crying out, how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? How is that okay? Well, to work out what a lament is, what it isn't, how we can pray like this in response to brokenness, we're going to look at this, this six-verse lament in Psalm 13. Some remember, um, I think it was a few months ago now, Matt Searles came and preached a while ago, and he's done some great work in the Psalms, and this Psalm in particular, his structure is really helpful for us. It, there's clearly three sets of two in the verses. and The first thing, as we think about how to complain well, is we tell God the problem in verses one and two. Let me read them again. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We don't know what issue the psalmist, David, was facing him with a particular lem- a lament. It could have been being pursued by Saul. It could have been enemies at war. It could have been maybe he was close to his death. We don't know. I think that's a good thing. We don't know the specific circumstances here. It's a gift to us because it allows us to pray this. This becomes a model for us. What we can see is how he's feeling. He's feeling forgotten by God in verse 1. He feels like God is hiding feels distant disengaged he's wrestling with his thoughts he's maybe you're listening in today and you have that one thing which you wrestle with regularly you know it maybe it's a besetting sin maybe it's a bereavement maybe it's a major problem you're thinking on the psalmist here is wrestling with his thoughts he has sorrow in his heart daily he's oppressed by enemies maybe literal figurative enemies we don't know he's facing real trial And I know for some of you, and maybe even now, you've experienced times like this, crying, confused and doubting, crying, Lord, why? How long, O Lord, will you hide from me? Maybe you've walked with others through this. This psalm is an encouragement to us, because we can be encouraged that King David, probably one of the top five characters in the Bible, a man after God's own heart, he's described, prayed like this. God has chosen in his infinite wisdom to have this type of psalm in the Bible for us to look at. A prayer as a model for us. The Lord doesn't think it's unspiritual to pray a prayer like this. Maybe sometimes we're trying to be more spiritual than he is. We looked a while ago, well, two weeks ago, and we looked at psalms, how they form us, they shape us, and they give us words to help us to pray. We need words to help us to pray more often than not in circumstances like this. I remember walking the halls of a hospital a number of years ago. A dear friend was in surgery. They'd been seriously injured, having struggling pretty seriously with their mental health. And I remember walking the halls of the hospital wondering what on earth to pray. It wasn't the first time I prayed for this person, but I wish I'd had this psalm on my mind as I struggled to just say anything. I wonder if you can. Acknowledge that similar difficulty—a difficulty to articulate, to know what to say, how to say—and here, God, in His kindness, gives us language, tells us how to pray when it all swamps over us and overwhelms us. So, how can we lament biblically? Well, the key thing here, right at the start, is to notice who the psalmist addresses. He speaks to the Lord. He speaks to the Lord. And my work is. Part of our culture, we have something called the polio Principle. It's um, named, I think, after a former Bible college lecturer. He one day was challenged, convicted, but he spent most of his time complaining about other people behind their backs. I wonder if you can identify. No, I can. He, he committed to not say something at home to his wife, which he hasn't said to someone's face if it was an issue. He wasn't just going to complain and moan and whine. He said that week in his house was the quietest it had ever been. He had nothing to say. The Capolio Principle is a wonderful challenge for us. And the challenge here is is the call of that principle is to speak to the person you have a problem with. And here the psalmist speaks to God. Remember those Israelites in Numbers, fire, consume the camp? They did not come to God. God heard them complaining, but they didn't come to God. They grumbled, they moaned about him, but didn't come and speak with him. Here in the Psalms, we see the first thing we need to do when we're confused, when we're doubting, when we're struggling, when we're going, what on earth is going on, Lord? When we're complaining, is to speak to him, not run away from him. David here acknowledges that he is Lord. He doesn't just speak to Lord, he acknowledges who he is. You notice there in the Bible, capital letters, L-O-R-D. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this, but when it's capitalised, it means he's using a covenant name for God, Yahweh. The God who made promises to his people about how he would deal with them, about how he would deal with them and have a relationship with them. And a covenant, a relationship has two sides, it's between two parties. And the amazing mystery here in these types of lament is David is holding God to that. He's saying, you promised me this, God, and I'm going to hold you to that because you've encouraged me to do that. That's amazing when we think about it. An integral part of lament is telling God the problem and speaking to him about it. There's a pastor in Eastbourne called Andrew Wilson. He's written a really helpful book, um, which a few of us read a few months ago about parenting children with special needs, as him and his two wife raise children with aggressive autism. He's a wonderful chapter on lament, and it's challenging. He explains what it is. He says here... Lament is about bringing your sorrows to God in painful description, petition and confusion and throwing all your doubts and questions at him. Rushing to dump them on friends, on family or on Facebook without having gone to God with them first is not lamenting but venting. Read that line again, it's powerful. Rushing to dump them on friends, on family or on Facebook without having gone to God with them first is not lamenting but venting. And in the long run, it doesn't do nearly so much good. With the best will in the world, people aren't big enough to absorb your grief. God is. Friends, church is a place for people who are struggling. I made the comment a few months ago that the metaphor of having a mask on in church was really apt. Because church is not a place for metaphorical masks. We don't have to put on a happy face to come to church. We don't have to bottle up our feelings. If David was to walk into our church and start speaking as he does in verse 1 or 2, I wonder what we'd do. I'd probably think he was terribly unspiritual and just needs to shut up. But no, we, we can come to church with our questions and with our doubts. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you don't need to be sorted. You don't need to have all your questions answered to come to Jesus. The important thing is to come to him. It's a wicked, wicked teaching to say that doubts, to say that questions come as a result of a lack of faith or of sin. That suffering comes because of a lack of faith or sin. Maybe the teaching is not often intended to be wicked, but it is. And the psalmist here is reminding us, with a third of the psalms like this, that part of the Christian experience now, this sign of heaven is tears. It is sorrow and it is pain. And that's a comfort for us because that's possibly our experience bizarrely in in our world I think bizarrely for me I think this psalm would have been sung we're going to listen to it be sung later you see the superscript up there under psalm 13 for the director of music this song all the psalms would have been sung they would have been sung corporately because it's a common experience and as we saw a few weeks ago as we as we sing as we pray it forms us it shapes our thinking it helps us know how to respond So how do we lament? Well, how do we complain? Well, the first thing we do is tell God the problem, not because he doesn't know it, but because he cares and calls us to come to him. Secondly, we ask God to answer. Verses three and four. Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I'm definitely... Not there yet, but I've learned something in my marriage. I've learned more than one thing, but something uh, in my marriage. Uh, I like to fix things. Maybe it's a common trait. Um, I like to solve problems. So when Caroline, my wife, comes to me with a problem, uh, a difficult situation, something she's finding hard, my default is to try and fix it, um, is to try and maybe see the good in the situation, try and see the positive light in it, and then maybe try and suggest how we can make it better. Now, of course, sometimes that is the right response. There's times when that really is the right response, and I really can help More often than not, though, what I've had to learn and what she's reminded me is sometimes I just need to listen, let her explain, let her complain, in that sense. Acknowledge how hard it is. Say a short prayer together. Not just try to fix it and come up with a solution, but instead just sit and say, yeah, that's tough. That's really hard. So often when it comes to anywhere, I have no idea how to actually fix the problem. There's a very famous prayer in the Bible. that comes from King Jehoshaphat. Great name for a baby if you're having one. He's faced with a huge army, a huge army. We're told he was very afraid. He takes 10 verses. You can read it later in Chronicles. 10 verses doing what David has done here. He tells God the problem. He says they're surrounded on every side. And then he says this wonderful prayer to close. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you, Lord. It's the king. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So often when it comes to prayer, we come to God with the solution. We treat him like maybe a subordinate at work. Here's how you fix that problem. Okay, God, here's what needs to happen for me to be happy. Our relationship in prayer is so often like a boss with a junior staff member. And that's laughable when we step back and consider who we're speaking to. There was none of that from Jehoshaphat. There's none of that from his psalm here with David. He says, look on me and answer me, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. David acknowledges the problem. Whatever he's going for is far too complex for him to answer. And that's liberating, isn't it? How liberating it is that we don't need to understand how to solve every situation, every problem. We can lament by coming to the king of the universe, the one who is ultimately in charge and just say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to solve it, but you do, so please answer. I trust you. And that's the important thing as we move on to our our third and final thing. A lament ultimately leads to trust. It's an act of real faith to come to God with lament. Here's Piper again on it. Lament talks to God about pain, and it has a unique purpose, trust. It's a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. Lament is to renew our confidence in God. And that's where it leads to our final section. The third thing we tell God the problem, we ask God to answer, and then we choose to trust God. But I trust in your unfailing love, verse 5. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. Seems a bit of a disjunct, doesn't it, when Josh read it? Some commentators have tried to argue that the editors have added this in for another psalm that made a mistake. It doesn't fit. Or they wonder if maybe time passed and the situation was dealt with. David got over his problem and then said, oh, now I'll sing the Lord's praises, now it's been sorted. Uh, there's zero evidence for that. Uh, and we see that in the rest of the psalms. That, that doesn't scan with human experience as well, does it? Things take time. Some experiences may never go away this side of heaven, and the apostle Paul in the New Testament reminds us what life looks like as believers, what the case is for us this side of heaven. He tells us the Christian life is one of being sorrowful, sorrowful but always rejoicing, mm-hmm. sorrowful but always rejoicing. And being joyful doesn't mean there's no hardships, doesn't mean there's no pains. We look at the life of Jesus. Just look at that joyful, yes, but oppressed and afflicted. That seems to be the pattern. So how can David, verses 1 to 4, verses 1 and 2 particularly, how can he then lead into 5 and 6 and pray this praise here? Well, he can pray this due to his faith, his robust faith in God, his wrestles with God and his understanding that this God is working for his good. A faith which, which helps him, which leads him to remember, to declare God's goodness even in this situation, whatever it may be. And this isn't blind faith for David. It isn't just a token line. Yeah, okay, God, you're good. No, no. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so he can say this, even though he's going through real difficulty in this trip for some. He can say that he will trust. He can declare that God is good and he can do it in, in three ways. I think he can look back. He can look to the now and he can look to the future. And so can we. So how can he praise? Well, he can praise by looking back. David is able to look back and see God's covenant faithfulness to him and the generations before him. He's able to talk about God's unfailing love and his goodness because of that. The the Old Testament, the, the whole Bible is a wonderful gift to us as we look back and see stories again and again and again of God's faithfulness. Of his goodness to people even when they rejected him. Despite present circumstances, we in the psalmist can say that God is good. As we look back on our lives and we look back in scripture. Maybe it's not always been how we would have had it. Not always how I would have wanted it. But God has been good to you. He's been good to me. Paul in his letter to the Philippians reminds them that he who began a good work in you. Will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. We can look back and see his goodness. And ultimately for us now this side of Jesus We've got a greater opportunity or greater greater blessing than the psalmist did in some ways because we can look back and see Christ and his work in the past. Jesus himself basically prayed verses 2 and 3 of this psalm in Gethsemane as he prepared to go to the cross. And now because of Christ's work on the cross, we can know verses 5 and 6 in more depth than the psalmist ever could. We can speak of God's unfailing love as we meditate on how it is displayed in the blood-soaked death of Christ on the cross. We can speak, as David does here, of his salvation as we meditate on our sins punished, paid for with his death. And forgiveness won him a victory of the resurrection. We can speak of his salvation. We can speak of how good God has been to us. Good feels a pitiful word here. how glorious he has been in dealing with our greatest problem. We can experience this far more than the psalmist ever could. God doesn't owe us anything. Anything. From birth, we've been rebels rejecting him. If someone treated us like we've treated God, our whole hearts, our lives turned away from him, then the natural reaction would not be to lay down our life for them. But God humbled himself. He came to this broken world. He lived. He died in our place. A proper gritty, awful, bloody, brutal death for you and for me He demonstrated this unfailing love for us. If you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, maybe you've been coming and listening here at Town Church for a while but not yet trusted in Jesus, can I ask why not? From, from my experience, I'm sure if you spoke to other people here, you definitely would hear this. It's so worth it. We, we can say he has been good to me What's stopping you from putting your trust in him? When you chat to someone, maybe chat to me or whoever you came with after today, if that's you. Because we can look back and pray verses five and six, whatever is going on in our day to day. We can see his triumph over his enemies and praise him for his goodness, even when this life is immeasurably hard sometimes. We need to be honest about God and his goodness. We need to make sure we don't forget the gospel even as we wrestle and we doubt it's a real challenge. But we can look back to the past. Secondly, we can look to the present, to the now. We can cling on to promises like we had taught on Romans 8.28, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, of those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That verse isn't a promise we. Can't believe when we're finding life tough. No, our, our pain, our suffering is part of God's good plan for us. And lamenting, complaining, well, ultimately acknowledges God's goodness in the midst of it all. It acknowledges that he's using this situation, whatever you might be going through right now, to make you more like Jesus. To cause you to throw yourself onto him more and more. I think that's really important for us to dwell on. Do you remember Psalm 34 a few weeks ago? It reminded us that the righteous person may have many troubles. It called on us to take refuge in God, to taste, to experience his goodness in the midst of those troubles. It caused us to glorify God and praise him. When someone in our church family is going through real pain, it's not insensitive, it's not wrong to call them to praise God with tear streaked cheeks. That's the right response. There are sensitive ways of doing it, of course, but but ultimately we either believe in a sovereign God who uses and orchestrates all things for our good or we do not. Read about George Muller. There's George. A few years ago, if you were here, he preached his wife Mary's funeral. There's Mary. When she died from rheumatic fever, he preached his own wife's funeral and he chose this psalm for his text. He preached Psalm 119, verse 68. Thou art good and doest good. He had three points, George. These are three points of his sermon for his wife. The Lord was good and did good in giving her to me. The Lord was good and did good in so long leaving her to me. The Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. George Miller did not start from Mary and then move to God's goodness. No, no, he he started with an unshakable confidence in the goodness of God rooted in Jesus and he interpreted his whole life, his, his loss in view of that goodness. You can easily see the psalm flipped as it often is in other psalms. It starts with the praise, it starts with the goodness. And what a challenge that is to us as we go through suffering in this life and whatever it might be what an example this is of faithful trust in God's sovereignty in the midst of pain so we can look to the now and trust that God is working good finally we can look to the future we we praise not because the present is easy necessarily but because the future is glorious we we lament because we know the pattern of the world we we see the world with sort of biblical glasses on through a biblical lens we we see and we acknowledge the fall. We know the cause of all lament ultimately is sin. It's rejection of God and the way that's led to a broken world. But then we see redemption. We see the work of Jesus. And then we long for that time of restoration. Revelation 21 tells us at the end of all laments... This is what God will do. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful image. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. What a picture of our God that is. What a a future this is to live in light of. So how do we complain well? How do we lament properly? Well, we tell God the problem. If we're, if we're struggling, if we have an issue, we go to him, not away from him. We're honest with him. We ask him to answer our prayer. We, we don't assume we know what's best for us. We don't have a ready-made solution. We don't need to come with a ready-made solution. We ask him just to answer our prayer, knowing that he'll work for our good. And we choose in that vein to trust him. We remember how good he is we acknowledge his sovereignty over all things even in the pain and the mess in life god isn't ignorant of that he knows what's going on and we acknowledge that he is good that he uses our suffering uses our circumstances for our good and for his glory whatever we're going through the call is to cling to and praise god so we can pray psalm 13 in our lives we, we can pray it with friends we're walking hard times with. We can pray it for the persecuted church. It's often so hard to know what to pray, but we can pray this prayer. We can stand with the psalms and go, how long, O oh Lord? But we trust in your unfailing love. This psalm and others like it just encourage us to be honest with God and honest with each other. So can I encourage you to pray this prayer with others and yourself next time you feel like the psalmist. Tell God your problems. Ask him to answer your prayer and choose to trust him and his goodness. We're going to do a couple of things. Before we share in the Lord's Supper, we're going to get junior church back in once a month. The junior church come back in and and look and observe and ask questions around the Lord's Supper. But we're going to do two things. We're going to listen to this psalm. Um, Not necessarily for tune it would have been sung, but, but it's important to listen to psalms. they would have been sung. So we're going to listen to this psalm as written by Matt Searles. It's just the words of a psalm. It's not clever in that sense. And I want us to listen and as we listen, reflect and maybe whilst listening, pray into it whatever situation you've been thinking about. Then as the song finishes, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing, Blessed Be Your Name, a song of lament and praise written by Matt Redman and his wife. Having suffered a series of miscarriages, it was a lament. It's a song of lament and praise. So we're going to do those two things. So let's pray together as we listen uh, and then as we sing.